Hey ladies and gents, welcome to the Controlled Interest Gamecast, episode 189. I'm your host, Jared Weich. As always, I'm joined by my co-host, Dom Orlando. Let's praise the sun, but let's do it in Tsushima. And for the third week in a row, we have Chris Noons. Yeah, and just like uh, Noons or Nunez or Noonzi, uh, Tsushima or Tsushima. <laughs> Uh, and you may be listening wondering, wow, Chris is on the podcast three weeks in a row. They must really like this guest. Uh, if you don't follow us on Twitter, we announced this week that Chris is going to be joining us full-time as the third co-host of the podcast. So, uh, light applause for, for Chris joining us. Super excited. Uh, glad yeah, to, we, glad to be here. Yeah. We had talked about it before and we really liked you being on the podcast. And ever since Jordan left, we wanted to bring on a third host because, like I've talked about on the show, I, I think, you know, three-person conversations go a little bit easier than just me and Dom going back and forth for an hour and a half, you know? So, yeah. uh, excited to have you join. Really happy about it. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, see what the future holds. But it's not just a coincidence that he's on three weeks in a row. <laughs> um, let's hop into the rundown here. Got quite a bit of news to go through. Some people did some actual events where they built a pipe. Other people, like Nintendo, released a tweet at like 7 in the morning. Um, So let's get into all this stuff. Plenty to go through. The first thing, there was a teaser trailer released for the Mafia Trilogy, uh, and it teased a May 19th date for more info. Now, people were unclear what this actually meant. Is it like a package deal with all three of the games together? A little after the reveal trailer, the teaser trailer went live, screenshots popped up on the Microsoft Store, for Mafia Definitive Edition, which seems to be an actual remake of the game, uh, did either of you get a chance to see these screenshots? I was kind of blown away. They look incredible. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's kind of crazy. Um, it it really caught me off guard. Uh, those games originally didn't get like very good critical reception, but good enough. And I've heard people like Michael Huber from Easy Allies and others say that it, the first one is really solid. Um, so I'm interested to see when that game finally comes out and we see a full-on reveal. Um, but they also had screenshots for Mafia 2 Definitive Edition uh, leak. And the funny thing with that one is, since that game came out on 360, uh, from the screenshots, it seems like that one's more of a remaster. So the first one looks like to be an actual remake of the first game, whereas the second one is more of a remaster. Um, and... I'm assuming the third one would just be a game of the year version for Mafia 3 since that's a current gen title, right? So it'll be interesting to see what the package price is for all three games. If they bundle them for $60 or if there's a weird workaround uh, and individually how much they'll be as well. Um, I guess real quick from you guys, I have no experience with the Mafia trilogy. I wanted to play three and then when I heard like it's passable, it's like eh, whatever, I kind of moved on. The screenshots for the first one have me the most excited, and that's the one I'd be most interested in playing. Uh, but what about you guys? Yeah, I've never played one either. <laughs> yeah. I played Mafia 3. I got about six hours into the game, and then I traded it back in. It was kind of one of those things where you started to play it, and it was like, at least to me, it was like a poor man's GTA. Like, it just didn't feel, it didn't have any of the feel of it. The story was okay. It just, I don't know, I just, I just couldn't get into it, and so eventually I fell off of it, and that was the end of it. Yeah, the biggest criticism for that game is it was really repetitive, um, but the people who finished and loved it say that the character working it is really good. Um, it's just the game around the the storytelling is 
super lackluster. So it'll be interesting to see how that's all packaged together. We'll talk about it next week, obviously, with the tease of the May 19th reveal. So look for that next week. Next up, we had two new digital events announced. Uh, Ubisoft will hold their digital showcase, which is their E3 replacement. And it's going to be called Ubisoft Forward. And that's going to be happening on July 12th. So now we have two events confirmed for July. We have the Xbox first party event. And now we have Ubisoft Forward, which is pretty interesting. And the second digital event we had announced was called the Gorilla Collective. This is a game festival that's going to be taking place between June 6th and the 8th. It's indie-centric. Uh, the biggest studio they have as a part of it so far is Larian Studios, who's behind... Um, dang, I'm brain farting. Baldur's Gate. The new Baldur's Gate that's coming out. Uh, and it's also in partnership with Kind of Funny Games Showcase, the uh, indie-focused... Uh, presentation that the kind of funny guys hosted the last couple of years. I think Greg Miller is officially hosting it. Um, but yeah, it's really cool. We were wondering, you know, where indies were going to land in terms of getting their announcements out there. And it's cool to see a game festival like this come out. Like I said, it's taking place over the course of three days with both of these uh, digital events. Which one are you, like, you guys personally looking forward to for me? Uh, Ubisoft forward. I'm excited because I really want to see actual gameplay for Assassin's Creed Valhalla um, and see a deep dive as the one we'll talk about later from Ghost of Tsushima. And they recently talked about how there's an unannounced AAA game that's going to be coming out in the next fiscal year. The assumption in the safe bet is Far Cry. I'd be curious to see what they did with it, if it's a num uh, another numbered title or if it's one of the spinoffs. I think it would be a numbered title, correct? Because it was Far Cry 5, then it was the one with the African-American twin females, right? Like post-apocalyptic in the same world. Yeah, yeah it was future. basically the new same Dawn? world. It was just a branch off. New Dawn. No. Yeah, New Dawn. New Dawn. Dawn. What's the name of the Horizon What's Dawn. the name of the caveman one? Primal. Primal's Primal. the name of the caveman one. Yeah. So I guess if it is Far Cry, it would be a numbered title. So, uh, Gorilla Collective looks interesting in terms of when things are indie centric. It's hit or miss, right? Because indie games can catch you by surprise. We also aren't sure of how triple i indie some of the stuff is going to be they have larian studios but are we going to see uh you know like a studio mdhr level indie studio as well who knows uh but what about you dom uh and then chris can go after which one of these two has you more excited i'd say yubi just because uh kind of like you mentioned like we know what we're getting um you know we're gonna get probably a lot of good <clears throat> valhalla gameplay um and we haven't really fully seen that yet for a game that I think, you know, uh, we're all pretty like sold on already. Like we know it, it should be good. It's just like, well, let's see it already. Um, but yeah, that's what I'd go for. Just mostly just for that, to be honest. Yeah. Chris, do you feel the same? Yeah. I mean, uh, I, I'm kind of interested in the gorilla one um, only because some of the rad stuff that comes out of it. I mean, Zom isn't going to be there right for Disco Elysium, but I have a feeling yeah. they're probably going to announce the switch port. If I if I had to guess, that's probably what they're going to talk about. Or, uh, I mean, they might even mention what's coming out to like PS4 or Xbox or whatever. But the I don't know. Like the, the when you see stuff that comes out from from um, Ubisoft, it's kind of you already know what you're going to get. Like you kind of already realize you're going to be getting some gameplay of of previous titles. The Far Cry thing is probably a pretty safe bet. The, the thing I like about the Gorilla Collective is you're going to see stuff that you're like, man, that is so rad or that is so cool. The problem with those are is you don't find out how rad they are until like a year later. Like sometimes uh, you'll listen to Greg on Kind of Funny and he's like, oh, yeah, that was on the Kind of Funny Showcase. But that was like 
you know, 13 months ago or 14 months yeah. ago, and it's hard to remember. That's the, that's the problem with indie games and why PAX is such a big deal because you get hands-on with them and you, you remember because of feeling touch versus, like, just visually seeing a game once in, like, a quick little promo. Yeah, and I think if it's a nice mix of reveals of games we didn't know about as well as dates for some of these indies we've been seeing for years, like Tunic, right? If it's a nice mix of that, I think it will go over a lot better. Um, but we'll see what happens. The fact that it's a festival, not a single presentation is... Pretty interesting as well. Like, is it going to be three days of an hour-long stream thing with Greg hosting, right? Or is it one of the days is a little bit more prominent than the others? Um, we're not sure how that's going to go, but uh, interesting stuff there. Glad to see more digital events getting announced. With Ubisoft, too, the one thing we didn't mention is we'll likely see Watch Dogs Legion up here again, right? And ah, yes, um, I am so excited about seeing that game. God, like, I God, love Watch Dogs. And Gods and Monsters, which was like the brief Breath of the Wild teaser. And then they said that game was supposed to come out February of this year. And then it got delayed. And I'm like, how is that game coming out in February when you literally didn't see anything? So we'll be interesting to see what happens there. I'm assuming they'll Maybe. also focus on presenting Siege as a next-gen launch title as well, you know, getting ported over. So. And then and then you're always going to have that crowd that's hopeful for that uh, Beyond Good and Evil business, right? Yeah, I think they saved that, though, because... That's definitely a next-gen title, and I, I think they have enough in the slate that they they learned from getting burned by Skull and Bones, right? Like, that game disappeared completely. So I think that maybe they kind of want to focus on uh, presenting the stuff they know is locked and loaded to be coming out soon, as opposed There's to... There's also another stuff. Tom Clancy uh, game that people are dying, dying <laughs> <laughs> to have oh, come quarantine? out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, there's, yeah, there's some Clancy stuff. Maybe that's the new title. Maybe it's something Clancy... Um, you know what I mean? So who knows? Ubisoft has always got, Ubisoft always comes up with weird stuff. It's always like, Oh, here's a, a combination with Nintendo. We're just going to do that now. So, I mean, it's always interesting with Ubisoft. The, the other thing people forget is roller champions that like roller skating rink multiplayer title. You remember that they released a demo on online, uh, when it was shown off at E3 and it kind of disappeared into the background. Ubisoft has plenty of stuff to show us. So it'll be interesting. What gets a limelight. Uh, hopefully we get that deep dive Valhalla gameplay though. Uh, next up, speaking of announcements uh, for events that are happening, there's one that isn't happening. Square Enix came out and essentially said, yeah, we're not doing an E3 replacement showcase. Uh, they're actually going to opt for announcements for uh, games on an individual basis. And they said that a lot of this has to do with complications surrounding COVID-19 and their inability to get assets together. We've talked about this before, of how uh, Japanese culture in terms of the workplace was hit harder by the quarantine and the virus than the United States was in, in terms of being able to adapt, right? Because Japanese culture, their houses aren't really, first of all, they're not very large spaces, so they don't have room for like a computer desk and all of this work stuff. And it's just not something they were ready for. So it's not surprising that this is happening. When you're looking at Square Enix's slate, right, they have Final Fantasy VII Remake, which just came out. It's weird in terms of, is that game going to have DLC as it isn't? What exactly is the DLC going to be? And then you look at stuff like Avengers. I want to play Avengers this year on my Xbox Series X and PlayStation 5. I'm totally expecting that game to get pushed to next year. Um, so do you think that they even have enough to show? Do you think this is... We've talked about, Dom, you've specifically talked about this too, of the coronavirus and the way things are happening is a nice scapegoat for some of these companies, right? That it gives them an opportunity to announce that they're not doing something without getting the full-on ramifications because they have something to fall back on. Do you think that's partly this with Square Enix where 
they probably didn't have a whole lot to show to to begin with. Yeah, I mean, no one would ever say that. Like, not even yeah. there, right at the company, you wouldn't say something like that. But it's, yeah, that's one of those where like you didn't you didn't do all your homework, but then school you have a snow day the next day anyway or whatever, right? Um, uh, yeah, yeah, I, I think you're right. Like, there's not that I can think of. Well, yeah, Avengers is going to be big for them, um, and I think people were kind of he- hesitant on what they've shown so far of that. So there's probably a lot more to prove and they probably got a lot of cool stuff to show us for that whenever that day is. But otherwise, yeah, I'm like, I don't, I don't think that anything about final fantasy seven part two is anytime soon. And I don't know. We were thinking like more remasters, more like final fantasy ports. And th- I don't even know. What well, else? they also have uh, bravely third, right? But it's called bravely second. Cause there was bravely default, right? There was that game that was showing off or the weird naming thing. Yes, that's uh, right, the Switch game. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Chris, we talked about last week on the show how EA Play was announced, right, the digital version of it. And we talked about how it would be nice if there was a sports version for all the sports fans and then one for everyone else, right? Do you think sure. what Square Enix's game-by-game announcement thing kind of helps them because the people who are interested in Square Enix's Avengers aren't necessarily the people who are going to be looking forward to the next Bravely game or an update to Final Fantasy fourteen, right? Exactly. I think it, it, it runs into the same spot that Bethesda's in right now where they just don't have a lot to talk about. Like, they have major games that are going to be coming, but it, they want to talk about them on an individual basis, and this COVID stuff is just causing heck on everybody. And so why announce or have a conversation about something that you know full well is not going to be out until late next year or potentially, you know, you're just not sure because you don't know how long people are going to be stuck in this position. So... Maybe it's in, in Square's best interest just to kind of hold off and, and go one by one or piggyback on off of like PlayStation or Xboxes and kind of ride the coattails of the fact that, hey, we're talking about a new console and we have an exclusive play of blah, blah, blah from Square or blah, blah, blah from Bethesda. You know what I mean? I think that's they're in their best interest right now than to, to put a lot of work into one big show where people complain about 90% of your show because they're looking forward to one thing called Elder Scrolls and it's not out for another 18 years. So, you know what I mean? <laughs> I think Square's in the same position. They just don't have a lot to talk about. Well, yeah, and to that point, too, Square Enix is actually in a better place than Bethesda because despite all the good work they're doing to rebuild Fallout 76's image, right, Square Enix just released one of the most highly anticipated games of the last decade, right? And it got pretty good critical reception, and people are really enjoying it. And the way the game ended, there's a lot of theory crafting going on right now. So they're in a better place than where Bethesda is, and I think it's a lot safer for them because they have the boost of Final Fantasy VII Remake coming out, right? So we'll see what happens there. Uh, it, it's it's interesting because who's to say that some of the people that are are holding digital events have enough, right? What happens when we see a show kind of similar to the Inside Xbox where it's hyped and we have these expectations and ends up being like, oh, those are some cool games, but it wasn't exactly the bombastic blockbuster thing we were expecting. Uh, next up, this one kind of came out of nowhere. Uh, PlayStation renamed Sony Worldwide Studios, PlayStation Studios, unveiling a new logo and an intro. So the logo is the uh, square version of the PlayStation logo. It's the logo inside of a white box. And then it says Studios underneath. It's a really clean logo. I actually want to get a, a shirt with a logo on. I think it's a really nice, clean look. And the intro, obviously fanboy trolls on the, the internet we're saying, oh, they just copied the Xbox's new intro because if you remember, Microsoft Game Studios rebranded as Xbox Game Studios and they unveiled that 
new trailer for it, right? The new intro for Xbox Game Studios. That was copying and biting off of the Marvel Studios one. So <laughs> it's they're all copying each other. And I actually like all of them. I think it's very yeah. clean and professional. And this is smart for PlayStation 2 because they're moving towards a place where they're going to have games that aren't just on their console as well. We've seen some of their exclusives move to PC. We know that MLB The Show from Sony San, Di- uh, Sony San Diego, right, is coming to all platforms next year. So I think a rebranding is really smart. I never understood why they were called Sony Worldwide Studios because it was all of the development houses for PlayStation. To me, Sony Worldwide Studios sounds like all of the film studios underneath Sony. I don't know. That's mm-hmm. always how I felt it seemed. Like PlayStation Studios is a lot more clear, right? Yeah, you, they talked about the fact that they were going to get the brand to like game openings. So any one of their first-party studios that has this logo and intro, you know, it's it's almost like the Nintendo stamp and seal of approval. Like it's yeah, it's it's, it's made by PlayStation. It is a first party, which means that a lot of effort is put in. And quite honestly, over the last you know, let's say five to ten years, if it's a Sony first-party game, it's rock solid. Like for the most part, you're you're looking at a game that's about a seven or an eight or above, and it's going to have a lot of love to it. So um, having this one of their things is is kind of cool i think it does copy off of uh xbox and they're just trying to get everything under one house it makes more sense because now you can your brand is sony it's playstation studios you know we're xbox studios we get who you are as opposed to confusing it like you said with film yeah and dom here's the thing like we're the people that follow the news a lot more often than the casual gamer right and even the casual gamer will know oh last of us two last of us last of us the last of us two tongue twister is coming out. I want to play that sequel. I love the first one. They're not necessarily going to know who Naughty Dog is, right? So if somebody goes to the store and they see the PlayStation Studios logo, because of the reputation they've built, they're like, oh, I need to check out this game. It's a PlayStation exclusive title, right? It's a first party game. It is that quality stamp of approval, like Chris said. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And <clears throat> the, Sony's always been, I think, always kind of had that problem of like, they're kind of confusing like the names of their businesses and then and even like with playstation they've been reorganizing stuff and obviously people yeah. have been changing positions and there's been weird stuff going on with that but i've always found like their organization naming conventions and how they're structured to be a bit confusing uh just in general uh and this is a smarter change like both you guys said that makes makes it obvious and clear and Jared, and I, to your point, you can they can interchange these characters out. So as new characters right. become part of the SI, yeah. you know the Sony, the PlayStation Studios universe, they can pull like you know let's pull Jin. Ellie and yeah out, and we're gonna put you know somebody Jersey. else in, yeah. whoever they happen to be at that time. Same so they can always kind of interchange them, just like the Avengers can interchange, which I think is a really smart move because, like as you pointed out, they're char- they're character driven. Their stories are character driven. And that's the funny thing is, as high quality as PlayStation is, you do see a lack of diversity in their offerings because of the intro like you see the really hyper realistic human characters and then they throw in sack boy and i forget who the other cartoony character was uh crash no no it wasn't crash uh but they're like characters that aren't really relevant anymore like sack boy is synonymous with playstation but that character hasn't been around for like a decade at this point right obviously not a whole decade but it just shows like they were going through the intro process and, like we can't just have all these human characters we got to have some flair and show diversity and they had to throw in some uh 
some characters that aren't really associated currently with the PlayStation brand. So as they move forward, it will be cool to see them interject that stuff. Same thing with Xbox and their intro, right? The moment we see the new Fable, we see whatever the initiative's working on, it'll be cool because it gives them a more filmic quality and makes them feel like they're prestigious and things that are on the level of these Oscar-winning movies in terms of the presentation of the intros for the games. I think it's really cool. And like I said, I love the branding. I think it's a really solid, the clean square with the logo inside and then the studios underneath. It's really good for merchandising. Uh, I wish Xbox had something similar for the Xbox Game Studios. It's a little bit looser of a design. Uh, we mentioned Nintendo in there in terms of uh, you know branding and stuff like that. And we had the oddest thing. I woke up this morning, checked Facebook Messenger. I had a new message from Dom and Dom says, hey, we got some news here. Paper Mario was just announced via a tweet. And I'm like, what the hell? <clears throat> and obviously, we had a conversation between the three of us. And I go to Twitter and I look this video up. And yeah, Nintendo just decided, hey, we're going to tweet out the announcement of Paper Mario, the Origami King. Um, I personally don't have any previous experience with Paper Mario. I know the one on Paper Mario 64 and Thousand Year Door, Beloved, which is the one on GameCube. And then since then, it's been a series that fans want to be as good as it once was, but hasn't really reached that point. It was announced with the release date of July 17th. And if you're wondering, that date sounds familiar. It's the same date as the game we'll get into later, Ghost of Tsushima. Both released on the same day, counter-programming. Dom, you mentioned it's a Doom Eternal Animal Crossing situation, okay. uh, which is pretty neat. I am interested in this game. It seems like, from the people who are in love with Paper Mario, that there's some stuff in this trailer that gets them excited and some stuff that has them pushing the caution button a little bit because the battle system doesn't look as RPG intensive and the game itself doesn't look as RPG intensive as the ones people love. What did the trailer do for you guys? I don't know if either of you are Paper Mario guys either or if you're just as in the dark as I am. It was kind of whack. I don't know. Yeah. I, don't, I don't get it. Yeah. <laughs> I played it on the GameCube and this did not like... Remember last week we talked about, hey, did you know that this was an RPG? What, what were we talking about? There was a game last week that we talked about that. And uh, Japanese uh, Yakuza. Yakuza, right? I, would you have guessed that this is a, an RPG from the from that that trailer? Because nothing in that trailer showed me that it oh, looked like an RPG at all. You're talking about Like a Dragon, how it's a turn-based game. And yeah, you would not yeah. Get that so there was the a turn-based game, right? And and so you said, you know, surprise, that's a turn-based game, but nobody would know it. Same thing with this. Nobody would know that this is an RPG, at least from what I saw in that trailer. Yeah, it just yeah, doesn't communicate what exactly you're going to be doing uh, moment to moment, you know. You know what it looked like? It almost looked like the, uh, crap, the South Park game. Like when <laughs> yeah, the characters all bop, 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 bopping up and down. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, and I, I wasn't in love with the design, like the origami type art that they had going on. Um, like I've seen, obviously, like clips and gameplay of old Paper Mario games, and, and those always look cool. Like that's like a really unique thing. And then uh recently they had nintendo had yoshi's crafted world which was like cardboard and that looked incredible um it was really unique and this was kind of uh, they were kind of going for a similar thing just with origami and it was just weird to me uh, i didn't get that and then the gameplay i didn't really get at all either the dialogue was paper thin nice uh, no the they, origami they, stuff kind of looked like the star wars stuff that my kids read my kids read uh origami star wars books um, and there's like an origami Yoda and, and whatever not. And that kind of reminded me a little bit of that, like a play on that because it's like really yeah. popular over in Japan. So I, I was thinking maybe that's kind of what they were headed for, but boy, was this like, like literally out of nowhere. Like 
Yeah. I guess this might have been on a direct, and then they just were like, you know, we're not even going to do the direct. We're just going to, like, stealth drop this. So with this announcement, there was actually rumblings from Jeff Grubb over at VentureBeat, who's the scoop master now that uh, Jason Trier is taking a break before he joins Bloomberg Muse. Um, and he talked about how Pikmin 3 Definitive Edition is also in the works to be released pretty soon. Uh, obviously, that's a Wii U game that got lost on that platform. And... There was rumblings also that there was a direct supposed to happen because of COVID. It kind of got misplaced. And now, instead of doing a full-on direct, Nintendo's going to be doing this game-by-game announcement process. And do you guys think the reason this one was like, oh, it's a, a tweet, is because people are expecting the bigger Mario stuff that's been rumored. And though this is Paper Mario, they know setting expectations incorrectly can bite them because the moment people are told, we're showing something mario related you know tomorrow people would think oh it's the remakes it's the remasters right do you think that's why yeah because nintendo always gets it bad i feel like it's a bit unfair with their directs right where it's like people's expectations kind of go places and that's why you notice in some of their more recent directs they'll say like a direct based on this you know or call it a direct mini or call it a direct mini they've been very like specific with how they're categorizing and labeling their directs because people's expectations just go in all different directions so like had they had oh this is a nintendo direct and this was the big announcement the biggest announcement from it it would have been a big disappointment to a lot of people right to the internet um but it being on its own that's awesome that's great stealth drop sweet go nintendo right so i think i think you have a point there and chris this is an interesting thing because if this was originally part of a direct would the Metroid thing at the end, the Stinger, be teasing a one more thing moment at the end where they announce, you know, the Metroid Prime trilogy that's apparently been done for a year and a half? Or is it just a cutesy little tease? Because in that little clip as well, you see Donkey Kong's head as like a mask you can put on. What do you think about the Metroid tease at the end? Do you think it's um, was a tease I, or do you think it's just a playful Nintendo thing? I think it's more of a playful Nintendo thing than it was a tease. Like, this game reminds me of, like, Yoshi's Worldly World or, like, Toad, you know, the Treasure Tracker. This is kind of like one of those offbeat Nintendo games where they kind of just throw it out there. Um, They don't put a lot behind it. It's Mario. It's going to sell regardless. And so this was their summer game. Like, this is the game. Like, they come out, like, every about two months, and they they come out with the banger, and this one happens to be it. People in the Nintendo circles were starting to get nervous. Like, Nintendo has nothing. What is going on? And this was enough to quench most of those people's thirsts, at least until August, September, when they're looking forward to the next big trilogy, hopefully for the Mario series. Yeah. Uh, Real quick, I want to say before we get into the next segment, if I sound like a chain smoker for those listening, it's because I'm dealing with the after effects of acid reflux. So my throat is doing all kinds of odd things. So apologies this week if I sound like I smoke a pack of cigarettes every week. No one cares. I can't wait to have to edit every time I clear my throat. It's going to be great. Uh, so next up, we have the Summer Game Fest announcements. We had two of them this week. We had one which was on Monday and one which was on Tuesday. The f- Both of them got leaked, by the way. I want to mention that up front. Both of them, the announcements came out five to ten minutes before the thing even happened. Some people are saying Jeff Keighley calculated it. I kind of don't want to give him that much benefit of the doubt. I think it's just dealing with this stuff digitally, the communication wires get crossed. Anyways. The first announcement we had was Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 1 and 2. Here are some of the details that came out about it. It's a remaster developed by Vicarious Visions. If that name sounds familiar, they did both the Crash Insane trilogy, which is super well done, as well as the one for the Kart Racer. It's coming out September 4th, 2020, this year. PS4, Xbox One, PC, 
for $40, which is a good price, in my opinion anyways. Uh, most of the songs from the original soundtrack will make it back, which is really good. Original skaters and levels will come back, but there will be new tricks, challenges, and goals for players to kind of try to accomplish. And lastly, Tony Hawk in the interview with Jeff Keighley went into this. There's going to be a create a park skater mode in this game as well, so people can show off their own creations. And online multiplayer will heavily be featured in this game as well. I was more of a thug guy, Tony Hawk's Underground, and then I moved on to skate. I don't have a huge affinity or nostalgia for the first two pro skater games. I don't know how you guys feel. Did this announcement catch you off guard? Were you excited by this? Did it let you down by any means? Not for me. Not my thing either. Yeah. No, I, I was kind of a bummer when I saw that this wasn't, again, I, I keep beating the Switch drum, but why this wasn't on a, on Switch. I guess it's because it's remastered and it's, it's and all the sub-res stuff and maybe the Switch can't handle it or maybe it's just too much effort and time and they just feel like they're not going to make enough back on it early, not, early on on it, but... This seems like it would be perfect for people who were on the go again, as opposed to like this game to me in September is going to get lost. Yeah. Well, to your point about Switch, right? The Crash Insane trilogy that got ported eventually to Switch, like what, six months or eight months afterwards. So maybe it's the same thing with Activision. We're like, we'll see how it does. And then if it justifies it, we'll port it over months later. Right. So we'll see what happens. I'm happy for the people who are excited by this announcement, but to me, it's like, I don't know. I don't know. I wouldn't say I was disappointed because I had my expectations set correctly. But for it being Jeff's first big thing, I kind of think he kind of went off like a wet fart a little bit. Like, yeah, yeah okay. Um, I don't know. Next it just up. Seems like a, like the, it, this just seems the Tony Hawk thing seems like they're like test driving it for an, a brand new Tony Hawk that isn't Pro Skater 1 or 2. And if this goes well, then maybe we'll come out with a brand new Tony Hawk because of how the other one. The other one came out like a wet fart. The, the last Tony Hawk was terrible. Oh, that game was, yeah, 5 kind of killed the franchise, right? Like, yeah, like totally destroyed it. So maybe people, they're trying to strum interest back in Tony Hawk again. I don't know. Yeah. Funny enough, when this, when this pair of games was announced, number one trending thing on Twitter for about a couple of hours was Skate 4. Uh, so, EA, I hope you're listening out there. Uh, next up, the second announcement for Jeff Keighley happened on Tuesday, and this was presented as the most important announcement of Summer Game Fest. Uh, so, those words were chosen correctly because it wasn't the biggest, right? This was going to be the thing that made the biggest splash. But we, what we did end up getting, once again, this leaked beforehand. Uh, turns out IGN and even Kind of Funny had... Uh, an NDA signed because they found out this information before the announcement as well. We got the tech demo for Unreal Engine 5. Uh, some information on this before we talk about the demo itself and our reactions to it. It was running on PlayStation 5 natively. Uh, they had a dynamic lighting solution for global illumination called Lumen, which is really cool. Uh, can use movie quality assets consisting of millions of polygons, uh, which if you're familiar with like the Mandalorian, they use the Unreal Engine for that. Um, Unreal Engine, this is one of the biggest ones for me, Unreal Engine royalties waived on first 1 million in-game revenue, retroactive yeah. to January of 2020. That's so, awesome. yeah, Sony and Epic Games have been kind of going back and forth in how they are giving money back to the people that either A, use their storefront, or B, in terms of Unreal Engine, using their engine, right? So, the fact that indies can you know, keep the first million that they make, you have to understand that most games don't even make a million, right? All these indie developers are coming with these games, and when they have to give a big portion of their revenue to the engine they use to make the game or the storefront where they sell it, then being able to keep a lot of that money helps them 
continue to be game developers. Uh, there's something from Phil Spencer I want to get into later, but I guess, Chris, you can shoot first. What were your impressions of the tech demo? I was blown away. Um, uh, more so by the back-end stuff rather than the actual like images. Uh, I thought the fact that they are setting this out into the hands of indie developers and they're hoping that people who um, didn't have an opportunity to create a game can now create a game because they're trying to make it easier for them. They're trying to give the money uh, and put the money back into indie's hands by, by sharing this. Um, you have all of the back-end stuff of Fortnite that where they can use the crossover play because we didn't even talk about the cross-play stuff that's built into this engine that's going to be set up. And on top of that, the other thing that I thought was really cool is the fact that the movie quality assets thing may lead to more games bringing in movie tie-ins again because you have the ability to do it so easily. So I think that all of those things together on top of all the cool like you know dynamic lighting and the lumen and all that other stuff, I thought that was rad. And I thought the game demo was rad. The fact that it was like supposed to be out at GDC, like I think people went in with the expectation they're like, ah, this is ridiculous. Why are they talking about this? Is just like Cerny, like this is ridiculous. It's like, well, this was a GDC presentation. This was meant this was meant for developers and for to pitch to them. It wasn't actually meant to pinch to us. It's just we just happened to catch it. Yeah, and to your point with the crossplay stuff, they actually are releasing the SDK uh, SDK toolkits for people to use generally outside of the engine. Like you can, if you're a developer, you can go and download those now. So it does all the back end stuff with crossplay, which is really cool. And then making that ready, readily available to all dev, de, uh, developers means that we'll see that benefit on next gen and current gen, right? Hopefully, yeah. if Sony decides to turn on the light switch and let that happen. Uh, Dom, what was your impressions of the demo? It's awesome to see that uh, for me, anyway, Fortnite is providing value, right? Because <laughs> I hate the damn game, uh, which isn't really fair. But um, it's cool that Epic is turning around and using all that incredible profit from that game and doing stuff like this. I mean, they've always had Unreal, right? But uh, putting it, uh, like Chris said, back in the hands of indie developers and enabling smaller studios to make games and be able to where they might not otherwise when they had to pay bigger royalty fees, right? Um, but yeah, the demo was like absolutely incredible. Um, and it, it you, we could, you'll probably bring it up, but it, you definitely are left to the assumption that the way during their stream they talked about it, always mentioning PlayStation 5 and like specifically not talking about Xbox, you have to assume that like, well, Sony um, probably, you know, this pulling is a up a little bit of cash. Sure. Yeah, yeah pulling yeah. up a little bit of cash to direct the wording in this conversation because the funny thing about it, and, and that seemed to be like a, a big takeaway for a lot of people, was like, oh, that's, this is on PlayStation 5, yada, yada, right? That's incredible, and this is way cooler than what Microsoft showed last week. But then when you think, when you go like even one layer deeper, like, well, none of, maybe one or two of Sony's studios, first party-wise, actually use Unreal. They all use their own stuff mostly, right? Whereas a lot of the Xbox first-party studios actually do use Unreal. So from that 13 of the 15, yeah, use Unreal. Yeah. You know, and obviously the Series X is going to be um, more powerful in, in most ways than PS5, right? So you, even though this kind of like gave a lot of people the impression of like, oh, it's more impress- impressive for PlayStation, I think in the long term, you'll start to see the opposite. But this was a probably a smart marketing move for PlayStation to inject themselves like they did into this. Oh, yeah. The mindshare is like, this is a PlayStation thing. Like, yeah, when is that? It's not really. <laughs> well, yeah. that's the thing is, is I approached like. it as watching it as like, this is a next gen thing. Like, I'm excited right. for Unreal Engine. It didn't really relate mm-hmm. it to Sony. Um, the one thing I will say, I have two things I want to talk about that I found kind of stood out to me in this. One, was I the only one that saw that the female model character looked super like cartoony? 
uh, in comparison to like the ultra realistic graphics of the demo, like the actual environment. If you go back and look at her face, it's definitely like Fortnite-ified. <laughs> like it's bigger eyes, very cartoony looking. I just thought that was a weird style choice. Um, it still looked beautiful. Just thought it was odd because the environments were so hyper-realistic. Yeah. It was a little off-putting to me. Um, and the other thing that I thought was hilarious because, yeah, the the thought is that this was supposed to go after Mark Cerny's talk at GDC, right? Yeah, man. In Mark How Cerny's talk, in, in Mark Cerny's talk, he specifically mentions that they're going to eliminate the use of hallways and these crevices you have to crawl through for loading times. And in the demo, she goes through a crevice. Yep. <laughs> yeah, so I was just like, that's odd. Because it, the whole point of them talking about the SSD and the loading times and stuff was to remove that. And people were saying, like, oh, no, they only included that so you can see an up-close look at the, the textures and the graphics. I'm like, still, I don't know, read the room a little bit. It was kind of odd, but... Um, the demo itself is great. My takeaway was the lumen, the lighting stuff, how they were able just to move it and it reacted dynamically, um, to the environment and how you can have breakaway objects and the light automatically reacts to that in real time. All that stuff was incredible. Um, it, it's going to be interesting to see where this goes. Tech demos are odd because they get you excited for the future, but none of the games we're going to be playing are going to be that high fidelity in the first couple of years on these next gen consoles. Uh, you'd yeah. assume, anyways. On I had top a question of the... about that, man, because like that seems to be coming up, right? Like it's just a tech demo, but like the way they talked about it, it made me start to question, like, well, what is a tech demo? Because like their conversation seemed to like try to reinforce, like, no, it's a game. You can we played it well, with the controller. And that's so, the other like, thing. This like, this presentation mean? wasn't meant to sell us. It's meant to sell the people to use the Unreal Engine. You know what I mean? It's yeah. meant I mean, to it sell a, developers on using it. was a, it was a playable it. demo, though, at GDC. Like you, they they meant for you to play this game. You could play that that vertical slice of that game as yeah. as shown. Yeah, but that's the other thing too. Of like, it's with with tech demos. That's not a game by any means. It's a small section that they designed, yeah. right? Yeah. So, how is that going to compare to when you scale that out to a large project? Right? There's going to be sacrifices. So it's not necessarily one to one, but it is promising because it shows what next gen can look like. Um, I don't want to be too much of a Debbie Downer on it, but I do think people have to realistically put their mind in the, in the frame of what a tech demo is supposed to do because I think some people lost sight of that. There was a, a good number of people who thought this was an actual game too, which is odd, uh, even though Jeff Keighley went out of his way to ask them, like, hey, this isn't a game, right? And they were clearly like, no, this isn't a game. Um, Phil Spencer, afterwards, he tweeted out, congratulations, Epic Games, uh, on Twitter for the reveal. And he made a point to state that several Xbox Game Studios titles currently in development are being made in the Unreal Engine. So far confirmed, in terms of like the new stuff, we know the Initiatives game is in the Unreal Engine. And what was technically the first next-gen look at Unreal, even though it was in Unreal Engine 5, uh, the Hellblade stuff that was running in-engine at the Game Awards was in Unreal Engine. And that stuff looked incredible, and that was on Unreal Engine 4. So I can only imagine when they start moving this stuff over to Unreal Engine 5, how that's going to look. So it's really what exciting. I think was interesting too was the fact that Sony didn't say a single word after this, not one. Didn't tweet yeah. anything. Didn't speak. They just let the demo, the demo, and this thing do its thing, and they stayed just as quiet as they had for the previous six months about this whole entire thing. In, in the now that I'm space. thinking I, about it, I don't. What major studio of theirs does use Unreal Engine? It's uh, Days Gone was in it. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, Santa Monica, ben. right? Yeah, or Ben, SAE, sorry, right? Ben, yeah. yeah. Yeah, Santa Monica's God of War. That might be it. Um, 
Yeah, because all of them, uh, obviously, Death Stranding and Horizon use the Decima engine. Uh, Naughty Dog has their own proprietary engine, right? They do. Yeah. So that's interesting, too, that PlayStation got the grab on it, even though, not that they won't make use of it, obviously, but they have less ties to it than Xbox. It's so weird how all that stuff works out. It's for the third-party stuff, right? That's where you hope it'll be. Yeah, yeah. But for it to be... easier for them. And that's the interesting thing, too. People are talking about this being the first legitimate PlayStation 5 gameplay, which isn't necessarily true because we've seen Godfall gameplay. Yeah. I mean, it's true. You may not like it, but we've seen Godfall gameplay. Yeah. In effect, this would have been a a great grab for Microsoft if they, I mean, take this over their presentation last week. And I mean, as kind of boring as some of the background stuff was that people don't really care about or or were just curious about the game itself and not about the back end stuff, this would have sold, you know, what an Xbox can do versus what what they showed, you know, in their first presentation. On the opposite end of that, right, when the Xbox first party thing happens in July, what if they put that Unreal logo uh, next to their developers before the trailers for their next-gen titles, right? Because now people already have in mind what the Unreal Engine is capable of. So it could work in their favor, too, of like, this presentation got so big that people are like, oh, that's Unreal Engine 5, I can't wait. So when people see that logo in front of uh, a first-party game for Xbox, because we're not going to see that for first-party titles for PlayStation, really, you know? So that's weird, too. It's, it's odd how all of this is going to work out, um, but it's I mean, awesome. Maybe that... maybe they'll start using it, though. Maybe maybe Uncharted 5 is an Unreal Engine. I doubt it, but I guess it's possible. But they're yeah. talking about out in late 2021, and the way yeah. everything is going now, late 2021 to me sounds more like maybe late 2022 because of COVID and how everything is, you know, everybody's still trying to figure if they're going to get back to studios. Are they going to be familiar with this? They've got to get together as teams to work on it. So there's going to be a lot of play here with the whole out in 2021. And you also have to assume that depending on what partners they have, some studios are going to get it before the general populace of developers. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. They're going to slide that thing over before it's a full on public release Uh, because, you know, Epic wants games to be running in that as soon as possible. And what better way than to give the big boys a chance to do it. So when you do do the full release, you have tangible results from using it. Uh, let's talk about this Ghosts of Tsushima State of Play that happened. Uh, this announcement kind of came out of nowhere, too. We were, we've been talking about for the last couple of months of what happened to State of Play. kind of disappeared. Is it ever returning? Was it a 2019 thing? And this is the first one that they've had, PlayStation, that's focused on a singular title. Which makes sense because another thing Dom and I have been talking about for quite a while, Chris, is what exactly is this game? We've seen partial snippets of gameplay, but we haven't got a full idea of what the moment-to-moment action is in the world in general, right? This game's marketed as an open-world game when we hadn't really seen that in full capacity. So now, today, we got around 20 to 22 minutes of gameplay with some narration over the top of it in spurts. And I want to go over some of the details, and then we'll talk about our general impressions of the state of play itself. So, uh, we learned about guiding wind points... Uh, guiding wind, which points you towards your current objective. Before, they had talked about how this game wouldn't feature uh, objective trackers and wouldn't get in your way, right, and remove the immersion from the title. So they shut off this where it kind of blows wind in the direction, uh, which is essentially the same thing. We talked about that, Chris. It's literally the same thing. Yeah, Uh, I I think it's really cool and immersive. If someone were to say, like, that's corny, it's just the same way to do this, I wouldn't disagree. But I really liked it still, you know, like it is more immersive. 
it's one of those things that's going to be neat the first couple of hours you play the game by hour 10 it's just going to be a part of a video game if that makes sense like okay where do i have to go yada yada it'll lose its effectiveness but at least in those early hours it'll be super dope uh the world leads your uh, exploration through organic hints and nods. This is something we've seen with open world games in the past, especially with this generation of having these authentic, natural elements play out where you get led to these areas where you normally wouldn't search. And it's, you know, it could be an animal kind of leading you through in the trailer, in the showcase they showed a fox leading you to the shrine. It could be you're walking randomly and you see the smoke over a hill and you walk towards it. In uh, a Bethesda documentary for No Clip Video, who does excellent video game documentaries, when they were talking about world design with open world, you kind of want to have something every 30 seconds that catches the player's eye. And you can totally see that this is a byproduct of that. The world is filled with really interesting nooks and crannies. Um, there's going to be lots of resource gathering. This is where I got huge Far Cry slash Ubisoft uh, vibes from this game. And I will talk about that later. I think this game is like... On the most Ubisoft, non-Ubisoft game I've seen. And I don't mean that as a slight. I just, the way the game design is, it totally reads as a Ubisoft game to me. Uh, next up, you can attack situations as a samurai, meaning straightforward, right? Uh, or as a ghost, or the ghost, in stealth. They didn't make it clear, and maybe you guys can clarify if you got the same. They didn't make it clear if ghost is only possible during night, or if they just showed that to kind of lead Set into the... The stealth, right? Yeah, it reminded me a lot of Metal Gear, like Metal Gear Solid, uh, the last one, where you could go in full guns blazing, or you could sneak attack and try to get around. So you could do it either way. I don't think that, I don't think it had to deal with the, the day, uh, day night cycle. They didn't even yeah. talk about a day night cycle. So yeah, yeah. And also, now that I'm thinking about it, in the first trailer, we saw him put on the ghost mask like in the middle of the day, right? So that doesn't make sense. Uh, next up, you can customize outfits via resources. So you can dye your outfits based on the colored flowers you collect. And uh, with gameplay, you can customize how the game plays and kind of your your boosts and your weaknesses depending on the charms you gather, which is really cool and seems like something historically authentic to feudal Japan and Japanese culture, which is really dope. And lastly, uh, they're going to have an in-depth photo mode, which I'm glad that games are, are going to start having photo modes when they launch as opposed to six months later in a free update, right? It's kind of been the gist of it of like, yeah, six months down the road, we'll add a photo mode. So it's cool that this one's having one with a lot of neat tools. There's like soundtrack stuff and video editing as well, not just photos. And the last one for all of you samurai film buffs out there, there's going to be like a samurai film presentation mode that's similar to the old Kurosawa films that people love. I did it's see so some cool. blowback on this a little bit. Because if you look at the the mode, it's kind of like a gray filter over everything as opposed to designing in a way where it is actual black and white where the colors are a lot richer and there's a lot more dynamic lighting between uh, the scale of black and white. Uh, people thought it looked a little bit washed out. Obviously, you're watching this also over a stream, so who knows the quality and all of that. Anyways, I want to get our general impressions of this. I'll shoot first real quick because I don't have too much to say. Uh, I think this is, like I said, a super Ubisoft, non-Ubisoft game. Uh, and I wasn't expecting that from this game. I don't know what I was expecting, honestly, now that I think about it. Uh, but it does seem like a checklist sort of game. And all this is not a slight. I like those type of games. Um, I'm, I, I am drawn to those. And there's going to be a lot of resource gathering, which I like. The only thing I'm curious about and worried about is 
as somebody who loves the From games, and I know compare everything to From, but just combat in general, I want to know how tight and responsive that combat is because that's literally my only question with this game. I know I'm going to love exploring the world. I know I'm going to love checking out all these little nooks and crannies and all of that. I'm just, I don't know how much in love I'm going to be with the combat itself. That's my big question mark, but yeah, I, I, I'm really stoked about the game now. Uh, Dom, what do you think? This was this was dope. This was like super, super hype. Um, I already mentioned I was really into the whole wind thing. Um, and it mentioned, uh, yeah, there's some birds that'll like, you can follow them really quick and it'll take you to like a little hidden spot. There's like a little fox, that kind of stuff. Um, the way that, and they, they kept on harping on like how they want this to be more immersive uh, than other games. And I, I thought that was super cool. And they really loved their wind in general. Like everything was, everything in this game was blowing in the wind. There's little, all the, all the grass and the leaves, um, the poppy um, fields and all that. Yeah. yeah. That all looked awesome. And the art style in general was really cool. It reminded me like all the best parts of like breath of the wild. Uh, uh what's the, the last guardian, uh, shadow of the Colossus type of style, but then also with like a realistic, uh, layer on top of it. I, I was really into the way everything looked out here. Um, and then like you mentioned, it was there, you can definitely get some, Ubisoft Assassin's Creed vibes from like uh, you're gathering stuff and you know you take out that shipyard or whatever and it's like shipyard cleared after you kill all the enemies there type of a thing um, so you get that idea that like an like a Far Cry outpost or whatever that kind of gameplay um, from what they showed of the combat I thought it looked excellent um, the stealth stuff um, was cool but like the actual like um, you know like one on one fighting type stuff I think looked really cool and like different enough from what we had in uh, Sekiro. Um, but that's, yeah, I guess like that's going to be more most telling when you actually get to hold the controller and like play it. I'm just curious about like the feels. counter windows, like how big are the counter windows and like the very specific stuff with the combat? I posted um, that on Twitter today. I'm like, is it Batman counter or is it Sekiro counter? Because it, there's, that makes a whole difference on how that game plays. Exactly, yeah. And there was like a bar they didn't really explain either on the bottom left. I don't know if that was like, your attempts at countering or whatever, you know, the yellow balls on the, the bottom yeah. left. I yeah. I was curious as to what that was. Do you, uh, before we get to Chris's impressions, Dom, do you think this game's going to have boss battles? Oh, like not necessarily question. from Shit. boss battles, but like more powerful enemies, right. That are, that are bosses. Yeah. I, I hadn't thought about that. And now that I do, I'm kind of like, ugh, because I'm picturing like Assassin's Creed boss battles where it's like, another guy just with heavier armor or something yeah as opposed to like a from where it's like an event right it's like oh this is a boss yeah and and so i hope it's not like that because those are always kind of lame i hope it if they do have yeah boss battles it's something cooler more dynamic not necessarily a giant uh seat the scaleless or orange and smog type thing but uh, something cool uh i hadn't thought about that that's a good question i guess we'll see on top of your impressions chris i also want to ask you do you think this will toe the fine line and do it expertly between being something that's historically representative of the time as well as adding in some supernatural elements that we kind of already know about? Do you think they'll they'll nail that or do you think it looks like it's going to nail that? I think they're going to try. I don't I don't think they're going to I don't think they're going to succeed. I mean, I think on some fronts they're going to they're going to succeed. Like one of the fronts that I think that they're going to hit is on the equipment and the gear. I thought that that was pretty awesome that you can kind of make a decision on how you want to attack things by what you're wearing. So it's not just aesthetics. It actually means something every time you put a piece of armor on, which I think was really interesting. 
Um, to your point, uh, like I said, I had a question about how the counter was set up. I also want to know, is it slow-mo every single time I attack somebody? Are we going to be in slow motion every time? And is it, yeah. me just, is it, am I it just pressing one button and then have to go? Cause like, because you're supposed to go up with your, your, your sword up, but then you go into these slow-mos every time you attack and it looked like every single person you attack was a slow motion move. So that was interesting. And the other thing that I'm, I was kind of bummed about was the whole like, and this is cleared. It's like, oh, another one of those. Like, I don't want, like, I kind of was hoping for a cross between Assassin's Creed and From. Like, that's what I was hoping for. And instead, we just got something that looks very, very similar to, like, Assassin's Creed to me. Or, a par or to your point, Far Cry, where you're clearing an outpost. Yeah. <clears throat> it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. There's a lot of questions with the game still, but I do think we're all net positive on it, right, moving forward. So that's good. I think the presentation worked for that. Uh, we, we talked about this a little bit off-air I am slightly worried about its release date in terms of it getting cannibalized by Last of Us. Um, I do still think the game's going to sell well. I just... This game needs a bigger boost than what Last of Us needs. Like, Last of Us 2 is going to sell, right, no matter what. Um, I just think Sucker Punch has kind of been sucker punched quite a couple of times in this whole process. And, uh, you know, Paper Mario isn't going to take tons of sales from that game, obviously. But we are moving into a time where disposable income is going to be a lot less. And, you know, people are going to there's going to be a good number of people that are going to choose to buy Last of Us and just move past Ghost of Tsushima, which sucks because as unlikely as it is, I could see a world where Ghost of Tsushima out reviews Last of Us, but doesn't sell nearly as well. Obviously, I don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> I don't think there's a chance that Ghost of Tsushima yeah, uh, out reviews it, but... Yeah, I'm just worried about that game because it could be a Titanfall 2, right? Where it comes out next to another title and as great as it is, you know, it just doesn't sell well. So we'll see what happens. Yeah. I think I'm excited. I though. mean, you you saw that. That's why they delayed it, right? Like they had the same thought um, as Last of Us had, had to get delayed, right? And so like, well, I guess we, you know, as a as a transit like we have to delay ghost too because otherwise they're gonna be literally right on top of each other so now they're what a, a, just a month apart i think which, a little less than a month maybe by a couple of days but yeah practically a month. yeah so it's like probably not most ideal they probably would have preferred to be like two months apart but then i think we talked about this before it's like but then what are you gonna hold it another month and not make the money in the meantime uh it's kind of tough but I, they're figuring that at least a month is enough uh what well, it communicates but... right that PlayStation wants a clear delineation between the generations and they want enough lead up to where they're past the PS4 stuff, right? That shows that because they weren't, they could have easily put this game in August, but there's a reason they were like, no, we're going to have one in June and one in July because we need this time leading up to our console launch, right? I think that's what it mm -hmm. communicates. It just goes to Tsushima is a victim of it's... circumstance. And they had to put it. They had to put this last too, yeah. because I mean, you can't put the Last of Us after it, because then nobody will. I mean, nobody's going. Everybody's going to wait for the Last of Us. They're not going to purchase Ghost of Tsushima. They're just going to save that. You know what I mean? You want to. You want to put it after Last of Us, so that Last of Us has their time to shine. But then, you know, after that's completed, people have a hunger to play a game up till September. What else am I going to play? Okay, I'll play Ghosts. Like that'll be the yeah. game that I play next. And to your point, Dom, they want to get it out as soon as possible too, because they've already sunk so much money in it, right? They want to yeah. get the sales back. Because like. Try, try to convince people, you know, your bosses or whatever, that like, oh, they, 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 we'll say it's going to sell $5 million in its first month. Maybe that's a high. I don't know. But just theoretically. And so that's times 60 bucks, you know, like whatever, 30, however many million dollars that is. Tens of millions of dollars, right? Well, we don't want it. We're going to wait an extra month to get it. 
thought just because like because it might be like 10 percent less overall sales but we're gonna wait another month to get that 100 million or whatever like your bosses and your financial people are like god no you're not fucking release it right like that that kind of thing well and yeah the closer you get to the playstation 5 release too it's like do i spend 60 dollars on this game or do i put that towards my fund for next gen too a lot of yeah. stuff going on there yeah yeah i'm glad we're all excited have... about it though because this state of play yeah. could have gone the opposite direction and we could all been like oh so that's what this game is um, but I'm, yeah. I'm excited that we're all net positive on it uh, because it is going to be the swan song for the PS4. I almost said PS5. Yeah. Um, I guess you're better. My better analogy was like any any company would take $90 million today instead of $100 million in a month. Every time you would, right? Oh, yeah. 100%. Yeah. So um, I guess that's it for all of the news. Let's talk about what we've been playing. Uh, I don't know if you saw what I wrote down in terms of what we've been playing, Dom, but I have a surprise for you. Mm-hmm. So... The first two aren't surprises. Been playing a lot more Animal Crossing, obviously, my daily check-in game, uh, and I've been playing Slay the Spire as well. Uh, and the last thing I've been playing, I ran into a conundrum. I ended, I've been playing Star Wars Battlefront Two. Yeah, thank you. Well, let me tell you about the conundrum real quick. So, oh. <laughs> I'm like, Don's been talking about this damn game. It's probably on sale. I'm going to go see if I can buy it because I feel like playing it. I was just in the Star Wars mood. Go to look it up. It's on sale for $20. I'm like, oh, great. Great price. Turns out that's a base game. It doesn't come. That's not the ultimate edition that comes with all the other stuff or whatever. So oh, that, that, that version is $35. So I'm like, do I spend $20 or do I spend $35? Then I realized that a year-long subscription to EA Play which benefits me because it allows me to play Madden earlier. I'm a huge Madden guy. I played every year. Uh, I'm like, I if I'm going to spend 20 to $30, I'd rather just spend $30, get the game anyways, and then have access to other stuff, right? If I'm going to spend the $30, might as well make it for more than just a game that's going to be dead in a year. So I paid the 30 bucks for the annual subscription, got EA Play for a year, downloaded it, had all the content, good to go. Been playing that. Um, I like it. It's definitely... I mean, I'm somebody who plays Call of Duty Warzone and Apex Legends on the regular, which are like industry-leading f- shooting games. <laughs> so, not to knock Star Wars Battlefront 2, because that's not what it's not. It's not what it's aiming to be. It's fun. I don't know if I'd say it's great in terms of the shooting mechanics, but being able to exist in the world of Star Wars and just shoot people is a blast. And that's what I was looking for with the game. I wasn't expecting it to be like great shooting mechanics. I just wanted it to be fun. And it's super fun. So, yeah, loving they my time a, with it. They did a good job. Because, yeah, pro- I, could, I wouldn't... If you were to tell me that, like, yeah, the shooting mechanics in, in Warzone are better, I'm not going to be the one to argue against that, right? Um, <laughs> but they did a good job in this one, at least over time, of, like, balancing everything out, which is the real difficulty in this game, right? It's easier in a Call of Duty where, like, everyone's pretty equal. But here you have... you got Jedi and Sith and whatever the fuck Grievous is running around. Um, and you have tanks and giant maps and like all these different intermediate levels of classes you can get and stuff like that. So like now they're at a point where it's really well balanced, but um, yeah. My big issue is with feedback. Like I don't think there's enough feedback when you're shooting somebody and you're getting shot. It just doesn't feel as like crisp and precise as I'm used to. Um, it, it's kind of odd to communicate in that way. The, the cool thing that I didn't know is that, like, you can choose an era, which is cool to, to play in, right? Mm-hmm. Supremacy. Yeah. Uh, I've been playing a lot of the OG tr- 
trilogy era. Um, having a blast with that. I don't know. It's a, it's a good game. I haven't messed with any of like the co-op mission stuff or the single player because like why would I? Um, the single player is worth a worth a spin. It's you know it's like five or six hours and it's the gameplay is like okay, but the story is decent enough mostly. Yeah, the yeah. Genarso stuff isn't bad. The one the one thing I will say it's an odd complaint, but the the difference in how long a match can take is pretty wide yeah, it's like wacky. you can have a match take eight minutes or a half an hour like mm-hmm. which is cool but isn't conducive to a normal life where you have like apex legends i know an apex legends match is going to last 15 minutes so i know if i have 15 minutes to burn i can play that right with this i'm like i enjoy playing it don't get me wrong but i'm like how long am i in for <laughs> you know what I mean? yeah it's yeah. like anyone's guess with those big game modes uh it's yeah it, it, i've had that too where i'm like I thought it was over, and then it's like, oh, it's just going on to the next phase. I'm like, how long have I been in this damn game? Or <laughs> I, I had a 45 minute match, Dom, where yeah. it was the it was the the thing where uh, it was the the clone troopers against stormtroopers, and if the if the stormtroopers won the first round, they'd have to go to the ship and destroy the the batteries, right? Mm-hmm. So they would win on the ground. We'd go to the ship. We'd defend them. Time would run around. We'd go back to the ground. They'd yeah. defeat us. We'd go back to the ship. We'd hold them off. We'd go back. To th- and it was this gameplay loop that happened over and over for 40 minutes. And I was having a blast. I'm like, God dang it. Like, when is this match going to end? Mm-hmm. It just, uh, yeah, it's it's weird because we were really good at defending. They were really good at capturing points. And no one could win. Oh, it was awful. The cool thing, though, is that the battery life goes over rounds, so it doesn't reset every time, thank God. Uh, so eventually mm-hmm. we lost, which is good. <laughs> I don't know why. I would. I never thought I would say a sentence like that, but that's pretty much it for me. Uh, yeah, I figured I'd have a nice surprise for you in terms of what I played. It's a fun game. It is fun. I will give it that. Super fun. Uh, you, did you play any more Battlefront 2? Uh, a little bit, yeah. I'm, uh, I'm narrowing in on the Platinum, actually. Um but it gets difficult at the end. Some of the multiplayer trophies are like, is it like class stuff? Like get class to level X. It's more like use the sentry gun from the heavy class, get 150 kills. Gotcha. This power up from the assault class. Yada, yada. Customization options are more limited than I thought. Like, uh, the, like, you know, you can choose which skin you have for which class. Those were more limited than I thought they would be because most of them are like, choose a different looking human. And some of them were like, oh, I can choose a Twilight here, right? Or like a Gungan or something. Um, so yeah. I thought that was odd. It wasn't as customizable as I thought it would be at this point. So maybe that's something there's, I should uh, add to the third one. There's definitely some like deep cut stuff in there, when you, especially when you get into like the different appearances for the clone troopers, where like there's a, and it's small variations, right? But if you know. Sand like, trooper, oh, ghost trooper, like, yeah. Exactly. Um, which is cool for the people that like are really into it. But yeah, otherwise, like a lot of them are. Some are cool where it's like Celestian uh, Resistance Fighter or uh, uh, what is Darth Maul's race called? I can't remember. You can be one of him, but you're a Resistance Fighter, right? Sorfak or Zephrak, something like that. Um, that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, anything else besides Battlefront 2? Uh, yeah, actually. Final Fantasy 7. Um, oh, you got back remake. to it. Yeah, it's, it's fine. It's cool. I've been hanging out with Aerith a lot. I'm actually... The town I got to now is actually where it's finally like gotten cooler. It's the uh, the wall market, um, where it's like a nightlife uh, okay. kind of a town. I'm like, okay, this is actually cool. Like, this is an interesting city. It's 
reminds me more of like a like a Zelda village, um, just more popping and like the charm is there and the characters are like funnier and that kind of thing. But that's the best location in that game, I think. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah. But not much else. I mean, it's still like it's a good game. So that's about it. <laughs> that's yeah. about it. Uh, Chris, yeah. what have you been playing? I'm still on Days Gone. Like I got to Iron Mike's camp. Uh, just now like, yeah well like i've been like going through like all of the stuff like i've literally been like slow rolling the game because i've only been playing maybe like an hour a day a little over like so i'm not really good and i got to see my first horde like true horde where like the entire screen is they're just walking across and i like i went into this th- this nest that i was supposed to take out i had six of them it was right after iron mike's camp and uh i noped the hell out of there real fast i was like uh no there's like a thousand of them and i am not even remotely equipped to like do any damage to these folks so grabbed a knife that i had to get and got the hell out of dodge there's like a the funny point that probably happens to most people is like yeah you'll see like the three zombies and you're like doing your thing and you, you shoot the last one and then like all of a sudden there was a cave like under a ridge behind you that you uh, know that happened yep that definitely happened like <laughs> i walked in there were some traps and i walked around the traps i'm like oh there's one or two no big deal bing bing took them out turn around and there's like yeah. 75 behind me i'm like literally like <laughs> on top of me i'm like oh crap so like I haven't died very much in that game, but like, and I've I've gotten pretty good at hiding, um, which is like key to the game. Like you have to hide a lot. Um, and my weapons I haven't really upgraded. I've just been upgrading a lot of my skill points, and it it does pay to search because I found a couple of Neros in caves, which I didn't know were there. Like I walked in and I'm like I'm probably not supposed to be here, and I'm probably gonna get mauled. But then I ended up finding like a Nero thing, and I was like oh that's cool. So I took a shot and got some stamina and moved on. But yeah. Like, I think Iron Mike's camp, um, his camp is, like, maybe, what, a third of the game in. Like, it's not even that far in. Like, I've just been kind of, because I know that I have about a month left before The Last of Us 2, so I figure by the time I get, I'll, I'll be real close. Like, it, I should be pretty close to beating this game by the time that that comes out. Yeah, I mean, that's, like, I think the longest section of the game. Um, it's weird, because when I looked it up, it, it's hard. I mean, did you find it difficult to find, like, I can't find, like, a linear, like, because... If you look online and you look at the story at the missions, it's broken up into like 14 different things, but that's because there's 14 different stories going on all at the same time. So in, mm-hmm. in reality, that's not linearly how the, how the game goes. And as missions come up, like I just take care of all of them. So like I, I'll stop, I won't even do the story mission and I'll go like take out a horde or I will go to the quest where you're look, like doing the, the thinking back about your, your girl that that you know what i mean like I, I do all of that stuff and then i go back to the story mission so that's why it's been taking me a little bit longer because i haven't been going straight story yeah and they do a cool thing i think it's cool some people didn't like it where eventually like the side missions and then like the side stuff weave through mm-hmm. the main story where you get to a point where like you have to do some of them um but it makes they it makes sense narratively the way they try to set it up as opposed to like assassin's creed odyssey where like literally it just like stops you from progressing based on you're going to get your shit rocked because you don't have enough levels you know a regular jrpg type of thing this kind of like it narratively weaves you through the side quests in a really unique way that i think it's like cool and innovative but if you don't like the game then you don't then you're not gonna like it of course but the game's bugged the hell out a couple of times on me now though like where boozers asked me to come back like he's like hey i made something and i go back and he's got he won't speak to me and he hasn't made anything and i'm like oh that sucks so then the moment i like hop back on my bike i'll get a phone call and it's like 
hey, uh, why don't you come back to the Hot Springs camp? Because we got something for you. And I'm like, God, ugh. I was so mad because I'm like, I wasted, you know how much gas this costs? Like everything is in ga- in terms of gas to me. I'm like, when can I get to the next gas point? When can I, I just spend money now. Like if I go to a camp, I'm like, I'm not even searching for gas. I'm just paying for it. That's it. Ashley Kutcher pops out, you've been punked. Yeah, it's like yeah. crazy. Like, and the funny part of it is, is he did that. I got all the way to the Hot Springs camp. He said the same line again. I went back, and, and then he it, it literally forced me to go back to him, and that's when it prompted the actual thing. So, like, I had to accomplish something else, and it must have skipped where what I was supposed to do. Like, it kind of went around it. So it's just been weird. Like, there's been a couple of glitches like that. Otherwise, the game honestly runs really, really sweet. So I've, I I wasn't a part of the beginning part of it, or I was, but I didn't really play enough of it. So I, I missed out all of the, the crap that people had to go through when it first came out before the patches. Yeah, I miss most of that too. I had like, I think I told Jared and Jordan, I had one point where I was ended up under the map. Oh, really? Jesus. Yeah. (laughs) But it was, other than that, I didn't have anything uh, bad. It's like when it's something like that and it's once, you can laugh at it. But when it's stuff that like is killing your progress and it's continuous, then you're like, that can be bad. It just says something about Sony where the last three games that I'm probably going to play before the new generation are all Sony games. Like, I'm going to play Days Gone, I'm going to play Ghosts, and I'm going to play Last of Us. And, like, that's yeah. how I'm going to finish out this gen. And there's nothing on Xbox that's, like, calling me to play it. Like, I own Gears, and I bet I've put less than 15 minutes in. I just oh, It's just, like, game. it just doesn't, it's a good game. It just doesn't have, yeah. like, like this like these third-person action, like, big, long narrative games that, like, are kind of open world are right up my alley. So I've played Horizon, and those games, like, those that stuff to me is fun. And there just isn't a, a major game like that on the on the xbox platform that they own yeah yet yet we will see well it's interesting too because are, are you are you waiting for next gen for cyberpunk um yeah i, I i'm on the fence like i because i i may end up playing i know it's transferable so chances are i'm probably going to get it on on playstation because that i'm I'm going to get PlayStation before I get a, an Xbox only based upon the fact that my PC can play any of the Xbox games on the play anywhere. So yeah. I can get those first party games, but um, I don't know. It just, it depends. It depends on where I'm at. Like if I, if there's not a, a lot in my back catalog that I want to get back to, then I might just start up with, with cyberpunk um, because I love CDs stuff, but I, I don't know yet. I'll yeah. See. It also depends on, because for me, I think AC Valhalla and cyberpunk might be my last two current gen games sure. because both of them are smart delivery, but then it depends on when they come out and, you know, in relation to the console and sure. Uh, also real quick, shout out to Alan Wake for its 10th anniversary, getting the announcement that's coming to Xbox game pass might actually end up hopping back into that game. We'll see. Uh, you'll find out next week. Jeez. That's been it for this week's show. Yeah. yeah, it is. It needs a sequel. It's been teased in all their other titles. Quantum break. I didn't Control. realize it was an open world game. Like it initially was pitched as an open world game. Yeah. I, there's still that DLC that's coming out too for Control that's Alan Wake related. Intrigued to see what that ends that. up being. Yeah. Uh, real quick before we head out and I give the whole spiel, Chris. Uh, I guess people that are that are you know listening kind of probably want to know a little bit more about you now that you're a permanent co-host as opposed to just a guest. So could you maybe let people know like three of your favorite games and maybe a little bit uh, of other information in regards to, like your gaming history real quick. Sure. I've played games since uh, the Atari 2600. Like that was like literally my first gaming system. Um, and my dad still has it. And like all like 120 games that are sitting still at my parents' house. Um, I've been playing games all my life. So I've had a system of, of some sort. I kind of ba- I bounced out a little bit right after college um, and then got back right in the tail end of the 360 era. Uh, and so I didn't have any of the PlayStation three stuff. So it was awesome when I was catching back up again. Uh, and 
in this generation, I've have the the Switch, the PlayStation, uh, and the Xbox One X. So I've been playing on pretty much everything. Um, I, as far as games are concerned, gosh, Mario sixty four always tops my list without Great question. Um, and so does Super Mario Brothers three, and only because it was like the first game that I bought with my own money, and I had to wait at a Toys R Us and pull out like one of the cards in order to have them call me when it came back in stock. <laughs> so I remember that specifically. And Mario three was just like a, like a transitional game for me specifically. And then as of this last generation, because I didn't get to play it on the PlayStation three, when I played The Last of Us, that transformed for me what gaming was. Um, I I literally was weeping at the end of that of that game, and it just meant a lot to me in a, in a time that I needed it to mean a lot to me. And so uh, as far as uh, a top five list, uh, I know a lot of people say The Last of Us. It just has a specific meaning for me um, based upon where I was at at, at a specific time. Um, but I love games, like I was just saying, third person, open world, like those are my things. If you give me a quest and you give me 18 things on a map to do, I'm going to try to do all 18 things before I get back to the story mission. It's just, it's just part of who I am. Uh, but I'm real specific about games. Like it takes me a while to find something again. Like I took a break after playing The Witcher. I it, I took probably about two and a half, three weeks off. It's like nothing was catching me. And then I got back into Days Gone. So I really need something I can sink my teeth into and then something I can come back to. So I used to play Destiny like crazy. Uh, I had a group of friends that I played Destiny and uh, uh, Destiny 2 with. And we raided and it was a lot of fun, but that game just got I, games where I have to play catch up with people because I have kids and, and a wife. It's just too hard. I just don't have the time to, to like, even with the animal crossing stuff, I always feel like I'd, I'd be left behind really quickly just because I just don't have the time to do so. But yeah, that's kind of my gaming history, man. I, I, I love games. I've been to, uh, at now four or five packs. Um, and I've done all kinds of stuff, interviewed people, um, and, and that sort. So it's just been really, really fun getting into a genre where people talk and act like me. And that's been kind of cool. I have a couple of general preference questions in as they relate to gaming real quick. So first offset sticks or parallel, uh, parallel, uh, inverted or not inverted. Oh, I'm definitely not inverted. No way. <laughs> You're one like, of the I tried ones. that. I tried it just for fun, and it was like, wa- it was wackadoo, nude. It's like riding, <laughs> like, I like it's trying to like uh, my my dad used to ride a jitney and it's like trying to ride a jitney forward like everything's in reverse so you're trying to figure out how to like do things and you're like backing up the entire time it's crazy. Uh, generally, do you play with subtitles on or off? Uh, I generally play with subtitles off. Yeah, I I kind of I really feel like I really enjoy getting immersed in games. I actually don't like HUDs either. Like I would prefer a HUD to be off of a game. Like if I can find waypoints and just figure out my way through a game. Um, I try not to look up hints unless I absolutely like I'm spending like an obnoxious amount of time like sitting in something where I just cannot figure it out. Like I try to avoid it at all costs. Um, I just had something that came up in Days Gone where it's like a known glitch. Like I could not find a nest. The nest was supposed to be there. Like it shows it on the map and it's not there. And I'm like, where is it? And so I finally looked it up after about an hour and a half of sitting on it. And it was like, oh, yeah, it's supposed to be there, but really it's not. It's actually up like two miles up the road, and they just um, didn't bother to put that on the map. Great, thanks. What, <laughs> what, what do you find worse, extended fetch quests or quests in which you have to obtain a specific rare resource? Um, I don't like fetch quests at all. I can't stand them. Like some things get so repetitive that it's just like, okay, I know, like it, it just gets obnoxious after a while. After the first, uh, you know, three or four times, the resource thing, I can understand. It's just that when you get like crazy crazy amounts of some like like the thing in assassin's creed where you have to like get an obsessive amount of money in order to create something it's like what are we doing here and lastly as it sits today what is your most anticipated title not named last of us part two 
Uh, my most anticipated title coming in is, is uh, Valhalla. Like I really, I'm really after playing Odyssey, Assassin's Creed has like scratched an itch, and I'm 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 glad that it's smaller because I don't know if I could handle another 130 hour type game. <laughs> but well, it's smaller um, and shorter, which is great. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, which I'm really excited about because I got Origins and I'm I've been kind of nibbling at that a little bit, not like really playing through just because it's like going backwards after playing Odyssey. Like it's it really is like I feel like I and I I'm I'm really of the Greg Miller mindset. Old games old. Like I don't really like playing a game once I've played it. I've played it. That's my time with it, and that's the end of it. I don't typically play games that are like 10 to 15 years old or like or you know what I mean or even five years ago. The, the playing CD Projects game and playing The Witcher Three. It felt like a newer game, which is why I continue to play it, but I don't typically like to play older games. The cool thing with Origins is they're not afraid to have large empty spaces because it is, you know, a desert, which I commend them on because normally I think game studios would feel the need to, like, fill in those spaces. And there's sure. just large sections of the game that are open desert that really communicate the feeling of that game. But, yeah, playing Odyssey afterwards was a smart bet for me. I think if I would have done that too and gone back, because they do build on one another, right? Origins is like a soft reboot, and then or uh, Odyssey takes what that game did and improves a lot of it. So mm-hmm. it is weird taking a step back to, uh, you know, what it kind of improved. Uh, that's it for this week's show. Thank you guys for oh, watching. Wait a minute, you forgot huh? the last question. What's the last question? Uh, do you do you do you tolerate pineapple on pizza? I do. Oh, I thought you were going to go with the the initial argument that started on our podcast. Uh, Chris, Friends or Seinfeld? Oh, uh, oh wow. Gosh. <laughs> I, I'm a big Seinfeld fan. Okay, you're good. You fit in. Jordan was the Seinfeld guy, <laughs> whereas Dom and I are more of the Friends guys. So, <laughs> If I had uh, my choice, it would be The Office. Yeah. Mm, that's fair. Uh, <laughs> anyways, thank you guys for listening to this week's show. If you can, please follow us on Twitter. Collectively, we are at CTRL, I-N-T, that's Controlled Interest Abbreviated. Individually, you can follow Dom at Dom Zorios. You can follow Chris at Topher Noons. You can follow me at Jared underscore. If you go over to iTunes and leave us a five-star review, it helps us move up in the algorithm. If you don't think we're five stars, rate it what you think we are. The reviews help either way. On YouTube, you can search Controlled Interest. will pop right up. Hit the subscribe button. Like the video if you enjoy the podcast. Hit the bell notification to know when we upload new videos because YouTube sub boxes, you just can't trust them. And uh, we're on Spotify as well if you enjoy listening to podcasts that way instead of, you know, YouTube or the iTunes. Thank you guys as always. Awesome to have Chris on as our third co-host permanently. We'll catch you guys next week when we get some Mafia news and hopefully some other cool stuff. Bye.